Good morning, everybody, and I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to start with hymn number 50. If y'all would stand with us as we're here to worship our Lord. Number 50 in the hymnal, and it's up on the board, Fairest Lord Jesus. chapter 8 about Philip the evangelist therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them and the people with one accord gave heed unto these things which Philip spoke hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame and they were healed and there was great joy in that city but there was um, but when they believed down in verse 12 when they believed Philip preaching these things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ that they were baptized both men and women and then uh, Philip had a uh, little situation with a guy who wanted to buy the Holy Spirit 
But uh, he told him, no. Verse 26, and an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot. He read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran there to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, which was Isaiah chapter 53. And he said, Understand thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he besought Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare this generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Is it of himself or is it with some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture. And he preached to them Jesus. And as they went on their way, he came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. Uh, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they both went down to the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up by the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached to all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for this word here. Philip was preaching and teaching the word, the good news, everywhere he went. And he was sent of the Spirit to teach this Ethiopian. This Ethiopian was coming from Jerusalem. He was trying to work out his own salvation. Man cannot save himself. And Philip expounded the scriptures to him, interpreted, taught him about the gospel, and this man was saved by grace. Lord, thank you for this example, and Lord, as a group of local believers here this morning we pray that you will use our pastor the music everything lord for us to talk about the good news that people's lives might be changed and we pray for those lord who are amongst us who are sick with shirley and others ruth who's going into surgery and those prayer requests that will be mentioned but lord for all those that are within our hearts with our families with our children lord there are so many people in need, and they're in need of you. And we pray that you administer to them. There's a lot of people, Lord, who are in dark places in these times. We ask for you to take what we do today, Lord, and use it to bring glory to your name because you're the only one that counts. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Larry. I tell you what, will you all stand up with me again?
We're going to improvise something here. I was just thinking, um, let's sing that little chorus, We Have Come Into This House and Gathered in His Name. It, it's pretty simple. We have come into this house and gathered in His name to worship Him. And we just repeat that. <clears throat> so y'all sing with me. We have come into this house and gathered in His name to worship Him. Have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him. We have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship Christ the Lord. Worship him, Christ the sing that all with me one more time <clears throat> we have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him we have come into this house and gathered in his name to worship him we have come into this house and gathered in His name to worship Christ our Lord. Worship Him, Christ the Lord. Amen, amen. If you'd like to use your hymnal, it's number 118 that we're going to sing next, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And if you would, as we're singing and as Brother Bill is teaching, pray with us that the Lord would meet with us here this morning because we can sing, we can hear, but the Lord hasn't met with us, we've met in vain. <laughs> when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of
Amen. You all can be seated and we'll have some announcements. Well, good morning, Grace Church. It's good to see each and every one of you with us today. I'd like to say a word of welcome to those who are joining us by way of the internet. And uh, we trust that the Lord will indeed bless us. That was a... You ever thought about the words to some of the hymns we sing? When I survey the wondrous cross. You ever think about that? They have a group... I'm not sure that I pronounced the name correctly, but it's called Selah, I believe, S-E-L-A-H. Have you heard of them? They have a song they sing called the, the Beautiful, Terrible Cross. And that's exactly what happened on that day. That's a, the beauty of redemption being worked out, and yet at the same time, the terrible wrath of God being poured out upon his own son. Well, we have some prayer requests I'd like to share with you. I uh, want to continue to be praying for Todd Horton's mother, Kay Horton. She was visiting with her daughter, Todd's sister, Donna, down in Alabama, where she suffered a focal seizure earlier in the week. She uh, was put in the hospital where she remains, but she is improving. It says yesterday she was up and able to walk with some assistance and they're trying to get her moved from the hospital in Alabama to a facility here, but it'll be at least the first of the week before they can make any kind of arrangements. So let's continue to pray for Kay Horton and for the family. Also want to remember our brother Wallace Haddon, who has been admitted to Williamson Medical Center, is in room 332. He recently suffered a fall and reports are that he broke a rib which punctured a lung. So let's remember our brother as he is uh, in the care of the doctors there that the Lord would bless him. And also, of course, for his lovely wife, Mary, as she ministers to his needs. I want to continue to remember our sister, Shirley Murphy, uh, who has been in and out of the hospital. But let's remember to pray for her. Becky's mom, uh, Ruth, has a surgery scheduled for November the 29th. And uh, we also want to remember Larry's Aunt Nina, who has been admitted to the hospital with the brain bleed, and uh, pray for her and the family in that situation. Also, Pam and Diane have a co-worker whose father-in-law suffered a major brain hemorrhage. He is in hospice care, not expected to survive, so pray for that family. Uh, Pat Jacobs is having lower extremity vascular surgery sometime in December. It was postponed from this month to next month for other medical reasons, so let's continue to remember her. Also want to continue to lift up Calvin and Judy LaPetri, and also uh, Mike Jenkins, who lives in South Carolina, He's been diagnosed with esophageal cancer, so let's remember him. And also continue to pray for Cheryl Cothran's niece, Claire Edwards, who's undergoing chemotherapy. And then we want to remember uh, our sister Carolyn Batt, and Marie Dalton's here, and uh, our sister uh, Miss Otis is with us, and we're glad for that. 
Also pray for uh, Gladys Alquist and her son and uh, Paul Osborne and his wife, Diane, which reminds me, we have two praying for you cards, hopefully that are being circulated. One is for Diane Osborne and the other is for Shirley Murphy. So if you haven't had an opportunity to sign those, please do before you leave. And uh, as a reminder, if you'd like to support the Ministry of Grace Church, you may place an offering in the offering box that's located on the round table in the foyer. All right. Thank you, Joe. Good to see all of you. We've got a number of people who are not here with us. Some of them are ill, and uh, Joe has named some of them. I'm going to mention some others uh, in a moment, but we are circulating out here today two We Are Praying For You cards. If you're visiting with us, you probably don't know what that is, but we have a little ministry here. We circulate those cards. You can just sign them or you can write something, whatever your heart tells you to do, whatever the Spirit leads you to say. You can write something on the front, on the back. I doubt you can write on the edge, but you can try it if you want to. But um, anything that you want to write, and we give those cards to those people to let them know that we're thinking about them, we have not forgotten them, we are praying for them. And the two people today are Diane Osborne, that's Paul Osborne's wife, who recently had heart surgery, and Shirley Murphy. Now, for those here in the congregation, I went to visit uh, Wally Haddon uh, yesterday. Had a good visit with Wally in the hospital. Uh, he's uh, been, I think, uh, approved to leave the hospital, but he's not going to be able to go back to the facility where he has been staying. So you need to pray for them in that regard as they look for the proper place for him to go, or he may have to uh, be cared for at home. So remember Wallace Haddon. I'd like for you to remember my wife, Lynn, who's ill today also. I think she picked up something actually visiting Shirley from Shirley's uh, roommate. And let's not forget Kay Horton, uh, and let's not forget uh, uh, Miss Tommy, uh, Ruth. Uh, Tommy, uh, uh, Rebecca's mother, who's going to have surgery this coming uh, Tuesday. We're going to sing one hymn before I bring you a lesson today from Genesis chapter 41, and it's page 347, Tell It to Jesus. 347, you can stand together if you would.
what's a friend or brother? to Genesis 41. We like to ask the Lord's blessings on the study of God's Word, so we're going to appeal to Him this morning to come and help us in our study. Father, I stretch my hand to Thee, no other help I know. If I withdraw myself from I might have to get the church to buy an escalator to get me up here. <laughs> Genesis chapter 41, let me say that we're glad to have all of you here today, and we're glad to have you who are visiting with us today. And whether you think you are supposed to be here or not, we believe in the divine sovereign purpose of God, and you're here on purpose. Maybe the Lord has something to say to you through the message today. We are now on, uh, I think it's study 49. They've got 50 up there. I have 49 in my notes. Living in the presence of God is the subject today. We're studying from the book of Genesis, the life and the story of Joseph. And today in Genesis chapter 41, we're just going to read a few verses before getting into the study. Verse 14, 
Genesis 41, verse 14. We know that Joseph has been put in prison. The chapter begins by telling us that he's been in prison at least. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there's none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it said, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. You may be seated. Joseph was sort of a miracle child. First, his very birth was something of a miracle. You may remember that his mother, Rachel, was barren for years while her sister, Leah, was very fruitful. But finally, as we read in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 22, it says, God remembered Rachel and God hearkened unto her. He listened unto her. What that tells me is she'd been praying all these years for a child. And God hearkened unto her and he opened her womb. And she conceived and she bare a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Yosef, which is Joseph in the English, which means Jehovah has added. Later, of course, Rachel had another son, and she named him Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. She named him that because she died giving birth to him. His father renamed him Benamin, which means Benjamin, Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. So he's kind of a miracle child, Joseph is. And in the second place, he's a miracle person because he's been spared from death on many occasions. Time after time, he was miraculously delivered from death. You all who've been with us in all of these studies, you know all of these things, but I repeat them for those who may not know. His brothers were envious of him. They were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery to some people passing through called Ishmaelites. And his brothers wanted to kill him, but he was delivered from them. And then the Ishmaelites would have made him a slave. He was delivered from a life of slavery because they sold him again to a fellow named Potiphar. And then he was delivered from death when he was falsely accused by his master's wife. And now he has been delivered from a life sentence in prison. And I want you to think about this. What a transition. He's been sitting in a, in a prison. Uh, and now he suddenly is in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful leader in that world at that day. He's gone from a dungeon to a palace. He's gone from having conversations with prisoners to a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the mighty king of Egypt. 
He's gone from being a shepherd boy on the backside of nowhere, known only by his family. Now he's going to be known on a first-name basis by Pharaoh, who will make him a vital part of his court and credit him with the survival of Egypt in the coming famine. Now his brothers, remember when Joseph was 17 years old, he had a dream. And remember he told that dream to his brothers and the dream implied that one day they would bow to him. And you remember they said, we will never bow to you. His brothers didn't want to know anything about his dream, but Pharaoh has had a dream. Just when we stopped reading today, Pharaoh is going to tell his dream to Joseph. And Pharaoh wants to know what his dream means. Now, the question that I have for you in today's study, the burden of this study is this. How did Joseph do the things he did? Not, I'm not talking about his dreams, but how did he maintain his sanity? How did he maintain his demeanor? How did he stay cool, calm, and collected when he went from a prison to standing before a powerful uh, pharaoh of Egypt? How did he do that? Well, we know, of course, that those dreams were given by God, and we know that the interpretation of those dreams were given by God. So I might well answer in that respect that Joseph didn't do anything that God did it. But when we ask, how did he keep his composure through all of these trials? How did he maintain a mind of peace? As we face what's coming here in America, and I've been talking about it for a long time, and I now think it's beginning to arrive, what are we going to do when we can't do what we used to do? What are we going to do if chaos breaks out in this nation? What are we going to do if things are turned upside down? What are we going to do when normal life as we know it is no longer normal? When the abnormal becomes the normal? When up is down and down is up and bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter? When things are turned upside down, how are we going to handle it? As I look at all the characters in Scripture, I think all of them share this one thing, and this is what I think is uh, underlying Joseph and his demeanor and enabling him to have the peace of mind. I think he lived in the presence of God. He lived. He didn't just go worship God on the Sabbath day. Or if he were a Christian on a Sunday, he lived seven days a week, 24 hours a day. He lived in the presence of God. He was always aware of the presence of the Lord, the God of his fathers. Listen to David. I can tell you where this is, but let me read it to you because this is kind of a different translation, but I think it helps make more sense to you, and then I'll tell you where it is. It's one of the Psalms. This is what David said, Lord, you have examined me, and you know me. 
You know everything I do. Now ask yourself, when I read this, what David is saying, is this the God you know? Do you have a relationship with this God? You know everything I do. From far away you understand all my thoughts. You see whether I am working or resting. You know all my actions. Even before I speak, you already know what I will say. You are around me on every side. You protect me with your power. Your knowledge is too deep. It is beyond my understanding. Where could I go to escape from you? Where could I get away from your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I flew away on the wings of the morning. You see, the sun rises in the east. So he's saying, if I flew as far as I could east, the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. That's the farthest place in the west. Even there, you would be there to lead me. You would be there to help me. You would be there to hold me with your right hand. If I could ask the darkness to hide me or the light to, around me to turn into night, the darkness could not hide me from you, for the darkness is not dark for you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. He goes on to say, you created every part of me. You put me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know it with all of my heart. When my bones were being formed, carefully put together in my mother's womb, when I was growing there in secret, you knew I was there. You saw me before I was born. The days allotted to me had all been recorded in your book before any of them ever began. How precious are your thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! How many of them there are! If I counted them, they would be more than the grains of sand by the seashore. That's Psalm 139. David says, I walk with a God who knows all about me. He knows where I am. He knows where I've been. He knows what I am. He knows where I'm going. He knows the things that are possible. He knows the things that are probable. There are no accidents with him. Everything is designed, and I trust him. I trust him. I have a relationship with him. Now, this is what it is to know the Lord. You remember the Lord Jesus uttered some fearful words in the Gospel of Matthew. I think it's chapter 7. And he said that when I come again, I'm going to say to people, I never knew you. They're going to say, we did this, we did that. We preached in your name. We taught in your name. We witnessed in your name. We prayed for healing in your name. Maybe they were used in healing in their name. And he said, I never knew you. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with me. You may have taken my name on your lips, but I never had a relationship with you. I believe that living in the presence of God is the way to live this life in this world. This is what it is to know the Lord. This is what it is to have a relationship with Him. This is how to get through this world 
of woe. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn, the King James Version says, learn of me. Today we would translate that, learn from me. Take my yoke and learn from me. And what will happen? You will find rest for your souls. Matthew chapter 11. I said chapter 7, chapter 11. Joseph lived in the presence of his God. And this is how he survived, and this is how he prospered even during the worst of times. Now, what does it mean to live in the presence of the Lord? What is involved? Well, let's start, start with the fundamental thing. Joseph was in constant communion with the Lord. He was always talking to Him. He was always listening and looking to what the Lord might be saying because he believed in a God that controlled providence. He believed that nothing could come into his life that the Lord didn't permit. And if he permitted it, it must be for his good. And he trusted the Lord even in the trying times. So he was in constant communion with his Lord, always talking to him. When I was growing up, I saw lots of elderly people especially elderly grandmothers who would be in the kitchen cooking and they would always be talking to the Lord. They would always be saying, now, Lord, where did I put that? Now, where did I put this? Now, help me to find that, Lord. Help me to do that, Lord. That was a, a constant thing there. I grew up hearing those kinds of things as a young boy. Well, how does one listen to the Lord? How do you discover what he might be saying to you? I say we will start with the fundamentals. First, you must be a believer. You must be a believer. It is through faith that we please the Lord. Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So how can one who does not believe God... Please him. Listen to this passage, 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. He that does not believe God has made him a liar. Well, how can one who does not believe God walk with God? Let me ask you, if somebody doesn't believe you, if they call you a liar, can they please you? I doubt it. Can one who calls you a liar please you? No. Of course not. If we wish to walk with the Lord, if we wish to be pleasing unto Him, if we wish to uh, live in His presence, we must believe Him. And so first of all, you must be a believer. Without faith, it is impossible. You must be a believer. Second, you must become a student of God's Word. A student of God's Word. The foundation for believing God is God's Word. Now, let me say this from a different perspective or approach it from another angle. What is the foundation for a believer? What does a believer believe? What is the foundation for faith? I have heard all of my life, just keep the faith. Keep the faith. What does that mean? Remember this, number one, faith must have a foundation, if it's biblical faith. 
It must have a foundation. Number two, faith must have an object. An object. Now, the foundation of faith is the written word of God. Jesus said to the Pharisees, He that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. The foundation of faith is the written word of God. The object of faith is the living word of God, revealed in the written word of God. Jesus Christ is the living word of God. The object of faith is Jesus Christ. Faith is only as strong as its foundation. And faith is only as pleasing as its object. As shocking as it may seem today, millions claim faith who do not believe the Word of God. I've shared some statistics with you in the last few weeks that prove that. And multitudes have a faith whose object is not Jesus Christ. Many people have faith in their faith. Many people have faith in themselves. Many people have faith in their church. They have faith in a system, but they don't know Him. If you got on an airplane today or any day to fly somewhere and you sat down in the seat and the plane takes off, is your confidence in the pilot because you know him personally? Have you ever met him? Well, no, you don't know who's piloting. In fact, we heard recently on the news where a man had a heart attack. And I guess the co-pilot landed the plane, had a heart attack. Uh, we had uh, uh, another report recently that a pilot uh, uh, committed suicide while he was flying the plane. You see, what happens when you're getting on a plane, you're trusting a system. You, you don't know the pilot. <laughs> so you can't be trusting the pilot because you don't know him. And many today are trusting in a system of religion, but they do not know the pilot. What does the foundation that we have, the Word of God, what does it stand on? What does it stand on? The Bible. We used to sing a little song when I was a little boy, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Well, what is the foundation for the foundation upon which the believer stands? What's the foundation of the foundation upon which the believer stands? All right, here it is. It's the promises of God. Now, you can follow along, but I'm going to give you a little different translation in order to make this clear. We read in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, to those who were to receive what he promised... God wanted to make it very clear that he would never change his purpose. So he added his vow to his promise. By these two immutable things, immutable means they can't change. Immutability means changeless. By these two changeless things, these two immutable things, about which it is impossible for God to lie, we have this hope we have this consolation as an anchor for our souls, safe and sure. Now, I'm talking to you about living in the presence of God. I'm telling you that you have to be a believer. 
I'm telling you that if you are a bona fide believer, your faith must have a foundation. That foundation is the Word of God. Your faith must have an object, and that object is Jesus Christ. And now I'm asking the question, what does the foundation stand on? What does this stand on? What makes this worth believing, worth reading, worth studying, worth meditating on, memorizing? What, what, where, where can you get any hope from that? Well, this Word of God stands upon the promises of God. And here's what I just read to you from Hebrews 6, 17, and 18, verses 17 and 18 in chapter 6 of Hebrews. Number one, God made a promise. He gave his word. Nobody made him promised. He just promised so we could have confidence in believing him. But then secondly, to emphasize the certainty of what he had promised, he swore by his promise. He not only promised, but he swore by his promise. He added his vow to his promise. And then thirdly, to underscore his vow to keep his promise, he swore by the greatest thing in the universe, he swore by himself. Listen to this verse from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater person or thing, he swore by himself. He virtually said, as sure as I am God, and I cannot lie, I swear on myself that I will do what I have promised you. So to repeat again what I have said, the foundation for the believer's faith is the Word of God. The foundation for the Word of God are the promises of God. The foundation for the promises of God is the vow of God. And the foundation for the vow of God is the immutable, unchangeable, eternal person of God. Now he did all of that so that we would have a sure foundation, a sure hope, so that we can live in this world in peace regardless of the chaos going on around us, so that we could be like Joseph, who snatched from a dark dungeon into the light of the most powerful monarch in the world at that time, and he was able to keep his cool. How did that happen? How did he keep his cool when we sold by his own brothers? What would you think if you had brothers and sisters who hated you so much they sold you off to somebody down in Mexico? What would you, what would you do if you're thrown in prison? You tell everybody, hey, I don't know why I'm here. I haven't done anything. Nobody listens to you. What would you do? Well, I'm telling you, the way to do that, the way to go through that, the way to do life, is to live in the presence of God, and that's what Joseph did, and that's what every single character in the Scripture who was a man or woman of faith did. They lived in the presence of God. Now let me ask you a question. Do you know if the foundation for this word is the promise of God or promises of God? The question then comes up, do you know the promises of God? David did, the prophets did, the apostles did, and Joseph did. It is vital, brothers and sisters, it is vital to know and believe the promises of God if you are to walk 
with God like Joseph did. Walking with God is living in the presence of God on this earth. And Joseph lived in the presence of God, and this is how he survived and even thrived. It's impossible to please him without faith, but our faith must be based upon the foundation, and that foundation, I'm telling you, is based upon the promise, and the promise is based upon the vow, and the vow is based upon the person of God. When the devil tempted the Savior, and he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread, Jesus replied, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, why didn't Jesus just zap some rocks and turn them into bread? Number one, because he's a representative person. He's standing there for you. So if you're there and you're in that situation and you've been without food for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil says, well, if you're hungry and if God loves you and if you're really a Christian, then why don't you just ask him to turn this stone into bread and give you something to eat? Why would he allow you to starve if you belong to him? But you see, Jesus has limited himself to put himself in a position that we would be in because he stands there as our substitute. He was not just our substitute on the cross. He was our substitute when he was born all the way through death. Everything he did, he did in our place and for us. When the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. How many of you have loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Not a person here has ever done that. Not anyone in history has ever done that. The only person who's ever done that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did that for lawbreakers who trust him. Once when Jesus was teaching in a house... Someone said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they want to see you. You know what Jesus responded? He said, my mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. To do it is to believe it. If we believe it, we will do it. On another occasion, when we were teaching, a woman said, she lifted up her voice in the crowd when she heard him teaching, and she said, Blessed is the womb that bare you and the breast which nursed you. And you know what Jesus said to that? Thank you, ma'am. No, here's what he said. He said, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. The foundation for believers' faith is the word of God. The foundation upon which the foundation itself stands is the promise of God or the promises of God. The Bible is virtually a promise book, a book of promises. Do you know that there are over 7,000 promises in the Word of God? If you want to live in the presence of God, you've got to learn those promises and stand on them. We who believe, we know Romans 8, 28. Here's a promise. And we know, we who, we who believe, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, 
that's the believer, to them who are the called, that's the believer, according to his purpose. No matter what you're going through, what kind of situation you're going through, jealousy, envy, as Joseph did, lies, false accusations, health problems, financial problems, you can weather it and even triumph in it if you believe the promise of Romans 8.28. That all things are working together for your good. For those who love God, for those who are the called of God. Here's another word of promise. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, you can give thanks to God in everything. Now notice it says, in everything. We don't thank God for the temptations of the devil. No, we pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. But we must not allow the temptations of the devil to cause us to cease thanking the Lord and praising the Lord, and serving the Lord in everything. So dear ones, learn the promises of God if you desire to live in the presence of God. I believe that's what Joseph did. I think that's what sustained him. I think that's what Moses did. I think that's what Jeremiah and Isaiah did. I think that's what the apostles did. They lived in the presence of God by standing on the promises of God, which is built on the vow of God, which stands upon the person of God. Now let me close by showing you how I know that Joseph lived in the presence of God. And I mentioned this sometime back, but it won't hurt to re-mention it. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to the last chapter of Genesis, the last chapter of Genesis, and also the book of Hebrews chapter 11. See if you can find those two. We're going to read Hebrews 11 first, and then we're going to look in Genesis. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's toward the end of the New Testament. Uh, And I'd like to read it first. Now, as great a man as Joseph was, as great a man as he was, only one thing about him is emphasized by the writers of the New Testament. And it is found in the so-called Heroes of Faith chapter, which is Hebrews chapter 11. It's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Here's what it says. Hebrews 11 and verse 22. Hebrews 11 and verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave a commandment concerning his bones. Now think about that. Of all the wonderful, great things Joseph did, this is the only thing mentioned by the writers of the New Testament. When he died, or when he was dying, when he was in the process of dying, he made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, that they're going to leave Egypt, and he gave commandment concerning his bones. Now, 
This is a reference, this Hebrews 11.22 is a reference to this passage in the book of Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. This is after Joseph is an old man. This is when he's near death. And he calls all of his brothers together. And this is what he says. He says, let's read it beginning in verse 22. Verse 22, Exodus 50, verse 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived for 110 years. That's how old he was when he died. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children. He had two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he saw his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. He saw Ephraim's grandchildren of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up on Joseph's knees, which means that he saw them. And Joseph said unto his brethren, now here it is, this is what Hebrews 11.22 is referring to. Verse 24, I die. From the Hebrew, I'm dying. I'm going to be dead soon. This body is going to die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, watch it now, unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then he took an oath. He made them swear to him, verse 25, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they didn't bury him. They embalmed him, and he was put in a sarcophagus or in a coffin in Egypt. Now that's what's mentioned in the New Testament. Why do you think that is mentioned? Because it is a statement of the faith of Joseph. I told you it's impossible to please him without believing him. And Joseph didn't just talk the talk. Joseph walked the walk. And he believed God while he was living. And when he got ready to die, he said, Now God made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham. And that promise was carried on into Isaac, and that promise was carried on to, to my father, Jacob. Jacob was Joseph's father. Jacob was the father of the 12 sons of Israel, who were the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he said, God swore that we would come down into Egypt, and we'd live here for a while, and then he would deliver us from Egypt, and he would deliver us into the land that he promised, the promised land. And when he was dying, he reminded them of that. Now, how long were they in Egypt? For over 400 years. And for over 400 years, the coffin of Joseph was there as a testimony of the faithfulness of God and the certainty of his promises. Joseph said, I believe God. Now, some of us, many of us, maybe all of us, will die 
before the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I have to ask you, when you're ready to die, many of us may not know when we're going to die. We may get up that morning and be dead before that evening. My mother got sick in the afternoon at only 67 years of age. She was sick in the afternoon, and at 2 o'clock that morning, she was gone. It was on Thanksgiving. That's how I remember it. She died on Thanksgiving Day. She was buried on my father's birthday. When she died, she died believing in the Lord. She raised me. I didn't believe in the Lord. I didn't want anything to do with the Lord. But the Lord wanted something to do with me. <laughs> and so here I is, all these years later, been teaching here for over 50 years, here in this very uh, place of Franklin, not in this building. We've been in this building about 16, 17 years, but I've been here for over 50 years teaching. And the promise that God made, he, he, my mother, I, I've, I've, told, I've shared this with you before, but I'll share it again briefly. My mother could not have any children, very much like some of these mothers in the Scripture, and the doctor told us she would never have any children. But she prayed and prayed and prayed and said, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I didn't know that until after she was dead. I'm glad she never told me about it because it could have, it could have swayed me. But I was destined to serve the Lord, whether it's in the pulpit ministry or some other way. Every Christian is in the ministry. Every Christian is in the ministry. What ministry you have will be determined by the Lord. But everybody's in the ministry. And I'm in the ministry. The Lord heard my mother, and she, they had been married for over 10 years uh, when she came up pregnant with me. And I, uh, I gave her a rough time because I think, uh, I think her bladder was ruptured and all of that in bringing me into this world. But I, uh, she said that, when I was born, that I was a black, that I was dead. And the doctor said, that baby is dead. But they worked with me, and they gave me some kind of shot or something, and anyway, revived me. And so here I am now, all of the years later, standing here in Franklin and teaching you. I'm telling you this. Joseph believed God. And when he died, he said, God's going to keep his word that he made to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, my father, he's going to deliver us from this place and he's going to take us down into the promised land, the land he promised. We say promised land, it's promised land, the land that he promised. We have the real promised land. The scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that the Jerusalem which is from above is the mother of us all. The scripture tells us that the land that was promised here is only a type or picture of the real promised land where Christ will rule and reign forever and where we will give him glory. Now I believe the scripture, if you want to live in this world in a life of peace, a life of prosperity, a life of blessing, you need to learn to live in the presence of God. If you're going to live in the presence of God, you're going to have to stand on the promises of God. And again, the promises of God are built upon the vow of God, and the vow of God is built upon the very person of God. He said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will bring it to pass. 
you can trust it. So this reference here in Hebrews 11, 22, is Genesis 50, verses 24, 25, and 26. And so for over 400 years, the fathers that had children would take them down and show them that casket. And they would say, in that casket are the bones of Joseph. And Joseph asked us not to bury him. We embalmed him. Not to bury him because he doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. He said God is going to deliver us from this place and he's going to keep the promise that he made to Abraham. He's going to take us down to the land that he promised us. And he died believing that. He left his casket, his sarcophagus, I think it's called. He left it there as a testimony. That was a testimony of the faithfulness of God for over 400 years to the children of Israel. That was the only Bible they had. And they believed it. God will surely visit you. And I say today, the Lord will surely come again. People are leaving churches by the droves today. In spite of all that we see on TV, thousands and thousands of people are leaving the churches. They're leaving the faith. They don't believe it. They say they did, but they don't. If they believed it, they'd stand on the promises. They would serve the Lord. They would seek to give Him glory now. I believe, and I believe His promise. And when Christ comes again, then we will say, told you so. <laughs> told you so. I already looked at the last chapter in the Bible to find out who wins. And the Lord wins, and we win in Him. We are promised a heavenly land, a heavenly Jerusalem, eternal life, acceptance with God the Father through faith in God the Son. We are promised that this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruption shall put on incorruption and that death will be swallowed up in victory. And Jesus said, though we die, yet we shall live again. So I ask you, do you believe God? Do you believe Jesus? This is what he said to his disciples just before he was betrayed and crucified. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. To be a believer, you must believe God. When you believe God, you believe His promises. Joseph did. Do you, do we believe God? Joseph walked in the presence of God. He lived in the presence of God. He died in the presence of God, and we can too. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Let's stand together. We have 66 books of promises, over 7,000 promises 
in God's Word. I would encourage you to learn a promise each week. You can learn a promise each week. You'll be surprised how they will come back to you when you're in certain situations. Learn a promise each week. I've been challenging you to invite somebody to come and worship with you. One person a week. Invite one person a week to come and attend worship with you. Meet you here. Pick them up. Whatever you have to do. Pray for them. Maybe the Lord will use that to bring them here. If you're a Christian and you want to be united to a church, we certainly receive members here. Church membership doesn't save you. It doesn't mean anything in terms of salvation. Salvation is in Christ our Lord, but we will certainly acknowledge that if you wish to become a member. If you are a believer and you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that you should confess that, and the biblical way to confess that is in baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, doesn't wash your sins away, but it is a confession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let us sing under the blood of Jesus. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the ages roll. Safe though the world may crumble. Safe though the stars go dim. Under the blood of Jesus, I am secure. Well, I hope all of you had a good Thanksgiving. I hope that it was safe and uh, that you had fun with your families. Let me remind you as you leave that we have the, those two cards. I don't know if they're on the table or if they're being circulated. We are praying for you. You can write something in there or sign your name or put a scripture for Shirley Murphy and for Diane Osmond. Uh, and their names are on the card to tell you who we're doing that. And don't forget to pray for uh, Lynn and don't forget to pray uh, for Shirley Murphy and for Wallace Hatton and for Kay Horton, especially for them. Now, Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you will bless your word, that you will give us understanding, and that we will think upon it, meditate upon it, that you will hide it in our hearts, that the world, the flesh, and the devil will not steal it away but that it shall bear fruit. And we pray, Father, that you will use us this week as witnesses for others and to others to speak a word to them of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. He said, if you're not ashamed of me, I'll not be ashamed of you. Make us, Lord, be bold witnesses, loving witnesses, but bold witnesses, not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of him who loved us and gave himself for us. And now as we part from this place, as we depart these premises, I ask your blessings upon everyone here and those who have watched by the internet, 
that you'll bring forth fruit, that your word will not go uh, void, become void, but it would accomplish that whereunto thou hast sent it. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we ask it for his sake. Amen. And you're dismissed. Thank you.